Welcome to the AFIRE podcast. In any economic downturn, the quality and capability of an asset management group is critical. In today's crisis, they are essential. Today, I'm talking with John Kennedy, who's the head of asset management in the U.S. for Bearings Real Estate, and with Rob Little, the uh, president of Bearings Multifamily Capital, to gain some insight on how to optimize asset management. So, John, Rob, thank you for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Glad to be here, Gunnar. Twice. Thanks for having us. In the, the most recent issue of AFIRE Summit, which comes out in August, you wrote really kind of an interesting piece on uh, the importance of asset managers, especially in the current crisis. So, John, what do you think in this time of COVID-19, what the role of asset managers should be? So, you know, I'm, I started my career in the, on the front lines in property management and then moved into asset management. So for me, asset management has always been central. So to get to a point now where we're in the middle of a pandemic, you really start to see uh, the, the, the true importance of, of asset management. We at, at Barings, we've always believed that active asset management is, is key to creating value in real estate. And while it's important to... Uh, you know, make smart investment decisions when you acquire an asset. It's uh, it's equally important to execute the business plan and and deliver on the you know what you had intend to do with an asset. So, when you come into a situation like today, when you have a pandemic that really throws a monkey wrench into what uh, your plans were, uh, it it really points to the the need to have you know strong active asset management. And you know, one of the things that has really benefited us is that. The way we're structured is we have a combination of uh, of regional leadership and sector leadership. So that's really helped us respond to the crisis very nimbly because we are focused on what's going on in the sector, but we're also sitting in the local markets and able to track what's going on in the local markets. So, uh, you know, really act, asset management is is front and center right now. And as a as a longtime asset manager, I think that's the way it always should be. But uh, particularly in this instance, uh, it has been something that, you know, day in, day out, it's been asset management uh, driven, but with a lot of help from other parts of our, our company. And everybody's really pitched in, including acquisitions to, to get through this. Thank you, John. I think that's a really great way to kind of introduce this uh, discussion. It, it, it was really interesting to me in the piece, you folks talked about how asset management is making a transition from business as usual to crisis mode. So Rob, I'd, I'd love to get your point of view on how to best support that transition and how to make it as effective as possible. Sure. As I think about asset management in a crisis mode, like we're currently seeing, four themes come to mind. The first is flexibility, because every situation is going to be different, whether it's the construction of a property over a two-year time frame or dealing with a long-term mortgage that might have some interim challenges. The second, probably most important, is communication. And it brings, we always value uh, working with cross-functional teams across our equity, debt, engineering, legal, and other disciplines internally. The third is creativity, and I think people always think about creativity in terms of structuring and getting them closed, but as we situations that are off plan, uh, really 
to bring you know creative solutions to those. And then the fourth is maintaining alertness across uh, situations, borrowers and lenders, contractors and equity partners so forth, uh, as we think about more challenges in asset management. So how do you, uh, both of you, John and Rob, how do you think about how strategic leadership or senior leadership uh, can best uh, support asset managers? What are the key things to keep in mind? Are there organizational changes that need to take place as we move into crisis mode? Um, what What is the, again, what is the best way for leaders to support what's happening there and to understand that a transition is taking place? I'm struck uh, frequently by the fact that about a third of the people in our industry today have never seen anything other than a bull market. Think back to the GFC and you know, the 2000 to 2010 timeframe. So, I think um, a lot of a lot of education, patience, and sort of reassurance is in for you know more junior people that are kind of sitting with saucers in their eyes today, never seen anything like this. Uh, never anticipating anything like it. So um, there's a there's a lot of um, you know again expectations thing. When we work hard to get a deal done, um, there's a certain time frame. But asset management issues, heavier negotiations. They're certainly like closing a deal is, and I think setting is really important here. And, and, and certainly, you know, you, you don't have the same level of leverage you have in a deal where you can choose to not do the deal. Um, you're already married um, and you're having to negotiate there uh, with an asset that you already own. So I, I think in some ways it requires a more sophisticated level of of negotiation than perhaps folks on the acquisition side are used to. Yeah, I think that when you're, um, you know, what, what's been very interesting is, is that we have uh, really encouraged our asset managers to really communicate and, and talk directly with tenants. So they've had hundreds of conversations with their with our tenants, just as you know, Rob's team has had hundreds of conversations with borrowers. And what's really been important is just to understand what is going on with, with their particular businesses and uh, really look at it from a standpoint of, you know, we're looking to support our tenants and, and keep them in business. But, you know, we also have a an obligation to, you know, these are investments and we have fiduciary responsibilities to, to, uh, you know, to safeguard these investments. So we really need to make sure that we are um, being judicious in how we uh, address a tenant, a particular tenant situation so that we don't uh, just, you know, give a whole bunch of people uh, rent forgiveness or rent deferral and not get anything in return. So I think having, you know, an experienced leadership group that's been there before has had to negotiate uh, these types of issues in the past, whether it was in the the great financial crisis or in the, the dot-com uh, crash, which many people may not even remember from the uh, early uh, 2000s. So I think having that, that experience level and then also really being able to develop the rapport uh, with, with a tenant and, and have empathy for their situation and their business. I mean, it's, this has been tough on everybody. And, and you're doing all that while you're working from home and with some of our uh, you know, more junior asset managers, you've got uh, kids running around who are and dogs barking in the background. So there's an element of humanity, I think, that has, I think, uh, come into play in this pandemic that's, I think, a lot different than perhaps the prior crises because we're all affected by this. So it's not just uh, one sector of the economy or one aspect of real estate. We're all dealing with similar issues. So I, I think it's a, it's a little easier to get on the same page with people because of that. 
I would agree. There's there's nothing like being human with someone uh, to help kind of further the kind of the partnership, if you will. You made a point that I thought was certainly apt as we're thinking about asset management, especially across a larger portfolio. You basically made very clear one size does not fit all. Every asset, every tenant is going to have a particular need. And for us to simply apply the same solution to everybody, maybe giving rent forbearance to everyone is probably not a good idea. So how do you institutionalize that mode of thought? to really kind of focus your team on more focused, customized solutions on a tenant by tenant basis, on an asset by asset basis, to make sure that you're making an appropriate fit in terms of solutions to whatever the issues might be. Well, what we did was uh, you, you have to treat each situation distinctly, but then there's a lot of requests, a lot of situations. So you you have to have a framework in order to to address the whole. So what we did was that we we basically sat down and, and created rent relief guidelines to, to give the authority to our asset managers to negotiate within a certain sort of uh, window uh, with, uh, with tenants. And so uh, they would be able to, uh, we, so we authorized rent deferrals up to, you know, several months of rent paid back over, uh, you know, 12 months uh, next year. So that was a starting point, but then it was really having the individual conversations with the tenants, reviewing their, financial situation, understanding their, their business needs, and, and then having the conversation. And, and in, in many cases, our, our asset managers had those conversations directly. In other cases, it was through the property managers. But it was really having a, a framework so that we could set expectations, both on the part of our asset managers, but also with our portfolio managers. So, you know, Rob mentioned communication. That has been key throughout this, this uh, crisis is, is really open and transparent communication internally amongst our entire team, including our, and especially with our portfolio managers, but also with our tenants and with our with our property managers. One of the things we did at the start of the pandemic, we, uh, I remember it was it was right after we we started working from home the 16th of March, and I was on my, my Monday morning uh, phone call with my regional asset management leaders. And I said, hey, we need to start communicating more. We got to figure out how to effectively communicate to, to the people we need to, because this is good. This is a fast moving crisis. So we started off by, uh, by thinking about in terms of, you know, let's get all the asset managers on a, on a daily call. And then we thought, well, we really need some portfolio management representatives. So then we said, well, we probably should have all the portfolio management. So that call went from maybe being six or 10 people to uh, it expanded beyond portfolio management to uh, to you know, functional sectors, the legal risk management, of course, uh, real estate senior leadership. So now we have 70 people on a call that started out as daily. Now, because we've hit our stride and they've got things you know, pretty well under control, it's, it's a weekly call. But it's really a way of communicating and getting feedback from people with respect to you know, how we implement our, our uh, you know, whatever, uh, whatever program or uh, guidelines that we have determined need to be put into place. How are you handling the, the more soft aspects of this? Uh, you, you referred earlier in terms of, you know, people have that, children running around and, and pets and that sort of thing in their house. They're, they're dealing with a high level of stress. Are you paying attention or what, what are the best ways to help support your, your teams in an environment that is unlike anything they've experienced before? Are, are you paying attention to that? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and that starts at the top of the organization. Uh, as an organization, Barings does a weekly call that's you know related to the 
the pandemic. And so there's there's a lot of uh, leadership and consideration from the top in terms of, you know, people getting through their days and, and taking time for themselves and, and things like that. And, you know, we are we are working from home. We're going to be working from home for the foreseeable future. And I think that, you know, being understanding and not expecting people to have to rush back to the office if they don't have childcare lined up is important. So I think it's it's, it's hard. I, you know, I'm fortunate that my wife and I are empty nesters. So you know, we had a couple of college students back for a couple of months and, and loved it. But if I had, if this were 15 years ago, it would be a whole other story. So I think it's really understanding and uh, and and just being, a, you know, being in here to listen and to ask the question, how are you doing? And we appreciate what you're doing and please take time for yourself. And I think that's, mm -hmm. that's helped a lot. And now, now that we're, we're a little bit out of the, the immediate crisis in terms of having responded to, to, you know, the immediate issues, you know, people are you know, trying to get some time off and take vacation and things like that, but it's, it's difficult. You know, you're really trying to separate from uh, your work, from your, your home life, but I think you just have to be as understanding as possible and encourage people to, to take time off and to and to decompress. So that message is coming loud and clear from the the very top of the company, and I think that's that's very important to to set that tone and and not expect people to be on constantly all the time. But the the effort that's being put in by our team, particularly the members who who have children at home, is is phenomenal. And they, you know they're they're getting their work done in between overseeing uh, school lessons for their kids or trying to or an impromptu summer camp. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of challenges. There. So we, you just have to really express how much you appreciate the effort that they're they're putting in, and and, and be flexible when it comes to. Sometimes they might not be able to get you that uh, report at two o'clock in the afternoon. It might come in at, at midnight. The other thing I'd add to that is I think one contact is really important, and and I've been trying to have some impromptu just check in calls with people, and uh, it's remarkable to me how how much they. Can each other and uh, and, and it's concern for for the entire team well being. So you know, one on one call, a quick note can, can just go a long way in letting know people people know that you're thinking about them and and you care about their situation individually. And, you know, suddenly we're having to be more human, perhaps than ever before. Absolutely, and and that's not a bad thing. As stressful as this is, I think we're learning some interesting lessons, and our teams are coming together in different ways. So. You, you, you described uh, this idea of the asset manager being the eyes on the asset. I thought that was a, a, a great phrase and a great way to think about what an asset manager is and what their value is. But I wonder, too, what are the kinds of investable insights that the other parts of the organization, the, the acquisitions teams, et cetera, can learn from them? as they're working through this and how can they, I guess, listen better to the eyes on the asset? I, I think one of the things we've always done well at Bearings is be inclusive all the teams throughout the investment process. So since asset managers, loan servers, sit in on our pipeline calls, they sit in on our committees and we, we work very diligently to have seamless handoffs of investments as from um, acquisition or origination into their asset management phase of, of the investment, if you will. And I think that community and inclusion is really important. The other piece, obviously, is the feedback loop so that uh, managers are telling 
uh, originators and acquisitions officers what they're seeing uh, real time in markets. And, and I think we've always done an excellent job of that. On the debt side, we use John's team on virtually every deal that we get because uh, likely we own something in that market and we can get live time data on leasing commissions, rents, tenant improvement costs, whatnot. I would add to that that I, I think that actually the, this crisis has brought us even more, more together and has, uh, has uh, improved the communication that you know, we always work collaboratively. But you know, since we're doing these, these weekly, I call them the COVID-19 calls, and, and then Rob has a, a weekly loan call that I sit, that a couple of us sit in on, we just, the, the communication information is, 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 is phenomenal. For instance, on the you know, on our weekly COVID nineteen call, each of the sector leads gives an update about what's going on in their sector, and uh, it might be uh, information that they've gained through polling the the sector teams or from their from their biweekly sector team meetings uh, or from talking with uh, with research. So you know, right now, one of our big focuses is you know what is going on, you know how do we get reopened with respect to office buildings and what's what what's going to be the nature of of office buildings going forward and things like that. And, and more importantly, right now, what do we think is gonna happen from a leasing perspective in, in all of our sectors, but you know, particularly office, you know, where are rents going? So we are tracking sublease availabilities in our markets, not just, you know, we're getting very granular. It's it's in each building, what's available for sublease, what's already subleased, and then what's available in the market for sublease, because we view that as a leading indicator. Of, of what's going to happen for tenant demand in a particular market. And so we're seeing some uh, some areas of concern. Uh, some cities cities like San Francisco, we've seen spikes in sublease availability, Boston as well. So you want to, you can use that information to then get ahead of your, uh, in terms of your planning, your investing perspective and your approach with respect to leasing the building. If you feel that you know, it's it's clear to me that in, in some of these markets, the rents are going to go down. So you want to try to batten down the hatches and lock up renewals when you when you can. And if there is a new deal that uh, is to be had, you want to jump all over it and, and make it happen. It is becoming more and more clear in times of crisis like this. This is when real estate really shows its true colors. This is the time when. Uh, investment firms really kind of pay attention to the, the, the granular issues and the issues of, of flexibility um, and the ability to be creative uh, with tenants and with, uh, with debt and with various investors. And of course, keep the communication flow uh, up at a very, very high level. And it, it's really fascinating to learn from this. We, we've kind of run out of time here. Uh, it, it went by very, very quickly, believe it or not. Uh, I really appreciate, John, Rob, you spending a little bit of time here. And I really appreciate uh, the article that you wrote. And I, I want to make sure that anyone who's listening to this uh, makes a point to uh, check in on their piece uh, in terms of uh, asset management during a crisis. I think they had some really good insights and some good points about how to think about this group of a very important group within all of your organizations and how best to support it. So uh, thank you, John and Rob, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Before we close out completely, I want to make sure that we thank uh, AFIRE's underwriters who help support our programming throughout the year, whether virtual or in person. Um, and it's thanks to the generosity of groups like Prologis, JLL, and Holland Partners that we're able to provide you with this podcast. Thank you all.
This podcast is produced by AFIRE, the Association for International Real Estate Investors focused on commercial property in the United States. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. None of the content is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information included in this podcast may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of its respective contributors and sources and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. This is Gunnar Branson from the AFIRE podcast. Thank you for listening.